Hello, welcome back to the Sport Flex podcast, episode two of the journey. And I'm delighted to be joined by Hull City Lady striker Jen Randall. Thanks for coming on, Jen, and I hope you're good. You're welcome. You? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Blessed. You know, COVID's got us locked down, but, you know, we've got to do what we've got to do. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, Jen, how's lockdown been for you? Um, the first lockdown was a fairly odd time. I think for everybody, it was just a weird, like, adjustment period of you know, not being able to go about your, your normal routine. Yeah. So I did find it quite difficult. Um, in my job as well, I'm a personal trainer, so I wasn't able to go out and like coach my clients, um, yeah, do anything face-to-face. So I did feel a little bit helpless, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I kept myself busy. Um, I, I kept, you know, doing home workout routines. I was quite fortunate to have quite a lot of equipment that I bought. Yeah. Um, so I really kept a routine doing the same as I would in, in the gym um, and going for runs, going for walks. And then the second lockdown, the weather wasn't so good. And I think everybody's spirits were a little bit lower. Uh, but again, I got myself a part-time job in B&M um, and mm-hmm. kept myself busy because... There's, there's nothing worse than being bored, is there? Um, yeah, and I, I'm the kind of person that needs to keep busy. I, I like to have things to do. I'm sure a lot of people do. So, yeah, you know, current situation is two jobs. Um, struggling to sort of, and football as well. So it's, you know, it's a balance really. But um, I'm well, which is the most important thing. Yeah, so. you're healthy, you're good. Yeah, that's yeah exactly. Hope your family's healthy as well. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. We're all, we're all good at our end, so... Yeah. That's good to you. So, uh, so, so to take us back to like when you first started playing football, like how did you get into it? Like what was your background growing up? Yeah. Well, I'm, as you can tell by my accent, I'm not from um, like Yorkshire. And how yeah. I came to play for Hull City is, you know, a story really in itself. Uh, so I'm originally from London, like really humble background from like a suburban area of London called Romford. Uh, which yeah Essex London you know it's kind of that debate isn't it like which part where where does it actually stand um so yeah I started playing football when I was about six and uh basically when I was that young there wasn't a lot of exposure to the women's game it wasn't as big as it is now you'd have to excuse my dog barking in the background out of control she's an absolute (laughs) menace I hope she'll stop in a minute but anyway um yeah, when I was six, there wasn't a lot of exposure. Um, and, you know, and, you know, women now, I think girls are quite lucky that, you know, there's, there's a women's football team near enough in every town that they can follow. Um, and there's sort of women on Instagram and Twitter, big influencers. But when I was six, so we're talking sort of 2003, 2004 time, there was really only Kelly Smith that was sort of, yeah, and Alex Scott that were like the standout female sports stars so I'm going to be honest I'll be honest with you Brian I was more into men's football because women's football just wasn't at that level yet Um, so I played with the boys and then obviously you get to a certain age and you want to you can't play with the boys Um, so I joined like after school clubs when I was sort of seven or eight Um, and my granddad was a real like role model real big inspiration in my life and he said don't worry Jennifer I always just call me Jennifer never Jen um, we'll, we'll find you like a girls team yeah. and so when I was nine I joined Tigers under nines played for them um, until I was about 12 or 13 and then I moved to a team called Chigwell Girls um, and then we sort of got to the county cup final we played my old team 
So it was a little bit of a rivalry. And then when I got to sort of 15, um, I had trials for Essex. So, you know, I did play at quite a good level, but I was never never at like a a massive level. And then uh, unfortunately, when I was 15, my team folded. So there was just not interest in, there wasn't enough girls to, to keep the team running. And with exams and stuff, uh, I never got round to like signing for another team. And that's one of my big regrets, if I'm honest, because I took three years out of football um, from 15 to 18. And I only re-started playing again and rediscovered my love for the game when I was 18 at university. Okay. So I, I do think to myself, if I hadn't taken those three years out, it's you know between 15 and 18, such a crucial period yeah, in development for footballers. I could have been at a much better level than what I am now. Yeah. So just going back to that, when you was 15, you had the break between 15 to 18 mm. and your team folded. Do you mm-hmm. think that it was because there was no real like a progression for you? Could you see a place where you could play football for a different team? Or was it a fact that I'm 15 now, was you encouraged mm. by your parents to maybe think, you know, football is a men's game, it's this and that, mm. you can't really make it in football as a lady? Did you feel that sort of pressure? Um, well, to be honest, my family were always really supportive of like me playing football. They're, my mum and my granddad always used to come and watch my games. My granddad never missed a game. He was like, he used to re- rearrange his life like around my football. So I have a lot to thank him for. Um, bless him all the you know the the petrol it's only now when you drive that you realize like yeah, how much money you would have spent traipsing me around London and Essex to take me to all these games so um yeah it's they never discouraged me but I think at 15 I kind of it, I was very into my music and my like I, I was in a band and I had it, we were rubbish by the way <laughs> um, but we I had other things going on in my life so football kind of took a backseat I guess and I think yeah. it was mainly down to myself that I said oh you know I'll look for another team and I never did mm. um, and, and sort of other things came up and it just sort of was something that I it, it became something that I just used to do yeah. rather than something that I was doing in the moment so yeah it is a regret that I have to be honest um, but I think there was I think there was scope for progression like I knew people that were still playing that I was in college with uh, I went in fact I um, played football with girls that went to America when they were like 17 and 18 on scholarship wow. so there yeah. was like definitely progression and I think well maybe I could have done that because we were all kind of the same level um, but yeah you know it wasn't to be and I am you know I'm, I'm grateful now that I'm playing football at a high level and I'm grateful that my journey's kind of been quite complicated into it yeah. having that three-year break so I, I'm grateful to be honest that I'm able to compete at that level you know despite having that sort of break so that's yeah yeah that's quality yeah to even make it like just going through your journey this is the reason why I want this series to like inspire other girls even guys mm. as well that you can still make it at a decent level even yeah. though you go through difficulty i was just going to ask like so when you're at university what got your new like born like effing football like what made you think you know i want to play football again um well i went to the freshers fair um which was basically for, for the people that don't know when when you go to university like and you're a first year you're a fresher so they put on like an event stall for you, letting you know the lowdown on all the activities that you can do while you're at uni. Yeah. So I went to the Freshers' Fair and 
you know, everyone's trying to get you to join their society or sports team. So I, I must have got about 2,000 leaflets on that first day of all these clubs that I was never going to join. Uh, but really, I whittled it down to, I think, two or three societies. And it was football, tennis and athletics. And they were three sports that I had competed at, at a high level, because I'd done sort of regional just below national like athletics as well. And I'd yeah. coached tennis and I'd played tennis from a young age. So it was always going to be between those three. And I think my heart was just still with football. Like I watched football. I'm a massive West Ham fan, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> born team. into it. What can you do? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think my heart really just led me back to football, to be honest. And I think there was only, I went down to training. Uh, I was wearing my... West Ham kit and had this funny accent but the girls were a lovely bunch of girls and they were really accepting and I sort of was really shy in my first year of university but the football team like they accepted anyone it didn't matter you know and at college there's cliques and at school there's cliques but mm -hmm. at uni there isn't and especially if you join a sports team 100%. they literally they become almost like your your little family um, and, and, and it sounds cliched but I suppose that's that's what it was really and I joined as like a shy 18 year old and I worked my way up so first year I just I played a couple of games I didn't take it too seriously in my second year of uni I became treasurer for the university team so I looked after the money I helped with sponsorship so I had a little bit more of a role in the team yeah uh, and I played every game and I think I got player of the season in my second year of uni and I got top goal scorer and then in my third year of uni my final year um, my friends encouraged me to go for captain like why not what have you got to lose so I went for captain and that like started really my journey to where I am now like I went for captain and they were my team like I, I made the team my own yeah. I planned the training session helped helped hire the coaches that um well the same coaches as whole city ladies had so that's how I was discovered they watched video footage of, of me playing against the university team and scoring two goals and me and another player got scouted and went down to city training. So I'm, um, yeah, I'm just grateful for the opportunity that the coaches gave me. And obviously the video analysis that was provided really gave me a pathway to, to the next level of football. Yeah. But yeah, like third year of uni, I'll be honest, I wasn't enjoying my degree. And I think if it hadn't been for football, I would have dropped out of my course. Yeah. But the, the only reason I wasn't was because I was so invested in football and uh, every Wednesday playing a game and then, you know, Thursday would come and we'd have five aside. And then over the weekend, I'd think about training on Monday and Tuesday and pick the team for Wednesday. So it was all like constantly what I was thinking about and I enjoyed it. Like I loved it. And yeah. I think it was a massive part of me deciding to become a personal trainer as well, yeah. because I loved the idea of being part of a team and the network and community and coaching people so yeah like the togetherness of it the team spirit like I just I love it that's great like it's good to hear that you know at third year uni you still continue became captain you've done a lot of things so I, I when you're in third year uni how then do you get discovered by a whole city ladies and, and when you get there yeah. it, did you feel any type of pressure it's like wow whole city especially <laughs> the team it's like wow I'm really doing well like was you pressurized was you nervous um well we basically, the, at uni in my third year, we, as I say, we hired these coaches called Shane and Steve. And they also coached for Whole City Ladies and they coached for the uni on different nights of the week. Yeah. So 
we played a game, I think it was against Leeds third team at uni. And um, we had the ability to watch the footage back. And it was a game where I actually played quite well. Like I scored two goals. I think I set up the third goal as well. Um, and that's, that game, my two coaches at uni showed to the people at Hull City, like the backroom people, the analysis coaches or whatever. And they said, you know, get her down there. Like, she's decent. I imagine that's what they said. I don't, yeah. I don't know. But I, you know, I don't think they would have said, you know, she's crap. So, you know, they obviously saw something that they liked. Um, this was in October of uh, 2018. So I had a little bit of a decision to make. And I said, I thought to myself, playing for two teams at this moment in time is going to be really difficult Demanded. especially as a captain if I go and play for whole city ladies and then I get injured training with them yeah. that's going to impact my university like season and the thing was in university the first two seasons that I was there we didn't take the team seriously like we enjoyed playing football but we didn't have a very good team if I'm honest, and it was just a laugh, like, and we'd go out after on a Wednesday and have drinks, and that would be like we'd mainly be a social team. But in my third year, we actually got a really good group of players together, yeah. and we were in contention for for winning the league. Right. Um, and we were bottom, we, like we 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 were in the bottom tier of of the Bucks University League, so it was quite quite embarrassing on our part. Like we wanted to get promoted for so long, and we finally had this opportunity to do so. And I didn't want anything to get in the way of that so I made the decision to not join whole city ladies until I think March 2019 so after our season had finished and we'd won the league we were unbeaten it was great so I did go down to city and feel like pressure because I was playing like some of the girls um that I play with have played football with like players that have gone on to like Jess Park who plays for Manchester City yeah. like some of my friends know her and I just, like, for me, that's mental, like, that they know this professional footballer and there's just me from, like, university standard and, like, Sunday league background that's now playing with them. Yeah. So it is really, like, humbling and it is, it just, it teaches you to kind of stay grounded, really. And that, you know, I went down there and I was, I was, I was quite shy, I didn't really speak. But I think, you know, I, I've sort of come into my own, really. Um, I'm vice-captain now of the reserves and they've they've sort of given that role to me quite quickly. Like with COVID and everything that's happened, I've actually not spent a full season there yet. So as I said to you, I joined in March 2019. Yeah. And I played like the last five or six games of that season. Mm -hmm. Last season got voided. So it wasn't a full yeah. season. And then obviously this season isn't a full season. So I've had three seasons there, but I haven't actually played a full season yet, yeah. which is crazy. Um, but yeah, like I, I'm really enjoying it. I, I, it was obviously a different standard and I, I'm still quite humbled and overwhelmed to be playing with like such amazing footballers. Yeah. Um, but you know, I am enjoying it. I'm finding my feet, I think, and getting more and more confident, like playing football. So it's promising. That's good. Do you think you've adapted to the transition from Sunday league to then county level to university to now, you know, I say professional level at Hull City have you found it difficult or have you just settled in perfectly I, I wouldn't say I've settled in perfectly like I'm very critical of myself I do think that you know 
I have a lot to work on, um, particularly I think if my manager does watch this back, um, he'll agree that I need to work on offsides, I think, and time in those runs a little better. Yeah. Um, but I think I have the right attitude. Um, I, I'm, I, I try to stay grounded and humble. And at the end of the day, the message that I would send to anybody, like any aspiring player, is, you know, it's, it's this little expression really, is that talent, hard work and talent are basically like mutually exclusive and hard work Maybe. will beat talent if talent doesn't work hard. Yeah. So like I've played football, as you've said, at numerous levels and each of those levels I've come across really talented individuals, but they haven't got the right attitude and they haven't got the right work ethic. Yeah. So they're not going to progress, unfortunately. But I think if you've got the right attitude, you know, and you put the work in and you do like gym in your spare time and you, you, you're going out, you're getting the miles and the legs running and you, you go into your local pitch and doing sprints, stuff like that, like in lockdown, when everything was out of your control, like that's one thing that you can control is your attitude yeah, things. 100%. And that is something that I pride myself on is that I, I do try to always have a good attitude and, you know, to stay grounded and always learning. Like I play with footballers that are better than me. You know, I'd say probably... At least 60% of them are better than me, but I never see that as a competition because I try and learn from it and, yeah. and make myself better because I'm surrounded by people that are pushing me to do better, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So how, how is it mentally, so during the lockdown, and how frustrating is it given that you haven't played your full season? You've been there for almost three seasons, you say, but you've only played about half a season. How frustrating yeah. is it given that there was COVID, you joined quite late because you didn't want to, leave a uni team like how has it been like settling in are the girls still like is it easy to settle in that like, you haven't played as many matches is chemistry difficult um I would say I can really only comment on the reserves because yeah I haven't really played for the first team as of yet um but I think the reserves have got a lot of girls that are quite young and inexperienced and I think that's partly why Dan, my manager, has sort of given me a leadership role within the reserves because yeah. I am 23, so I'm a little bit older than most of them and I'm a little bit worldly. So I think they kind of look to me as somebody that like can motivate, you know, with my job as well. So if the girls have found it difficult in lockdown, we've got group chats kind of thing with, with a lot yeah. of the girls. And I've become really close friends with some of the girls, like have become clients so like at the gym like I help them train um and like we'll do fitness and I've been for runs with a few of them so like during lockdown helping them like with their physical and mental health as well like meeting yeah. up with them for runs or meeting up with them to like do like boxing outdoors or like a circuit so yeah, I put on a few like boot camps in the first um lockdown and a few of the players came to that so, yeah, I've really tried to do all I can to help people tick over, like offer programmes and stuff. But in terms of chemistry, I think obviously it has affected, like not playing consistently is going to, and not training consistently as well, yeah, is cool. going to have an impact on how we play. I think as well as that, the reserves have quite a high turnover of players. So when you think about how young they are, 16, 17, 18, um, they go off to uni or they go off to college. So every year we do get like three or four players that leave and then three or four different players that come in. So it is hard um, to find out 
how new players play and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, this season has been interrupted. We haven't done as well as we would have liked. I think we've only won one game thus far. But in all fairness, I think we've only played five games. So mm, there's still a lot to come. And they're, they're a very promising bunch of girls. Um, but I think they just need a little bit more confidence, really, and to talk on the pitch. And I hope that is what, you know, myself, I try to provide. And certainly our captain, Abby, tries to provide is like getting them to be more confident in themselves and getting them to communicate more. But I think it's a process. And I think, as I say, hopefully when things settle down and the more football we can play, the more that can change. So Yeah. Also, how do you balance, because it seems like you're very invested in like the ladies team. How do you balance that along with PT and your job at BNM? Like, how do you <laughs> I don't sleep at all, Brian, if I'm honest. I literally <laughs> get about four hours if I'm lucky a night. Yeah. Um, so like I work at B&M until midnight wow. and then I'm in the gym in the morning at seven and I have like clients like, and then I'll train myself and then it's about midday. So being a PT is quite advantageous because you do like get like almost split shifts. So you'll be there in the morning early and then in the afternoon, like from 12 onwards, you can go home nap for a few hours um, and then you're back in sort of from half four, five o'clock time until yeah. about eight. So you've got that window during the day where you can try and sleep. Admittedly, I don't, but that might be something that I have to consider. Um, and then, you know, evenings, like sometimes I'm in B&M from 8 till 12. Sometimes I'm in from 6 till 12. It depends on evening clients. And then obviously two evenings a week, I have to factor in football training, which is currently mm -hmm. Mondays and Wednesdays. So literally I go, I have clients 5 to 6, 6 to 7, and then I get to training for about quarter to eight and it's like from quarter to eight till nine o'clock on Mondays and Wednesdays. So yeah, I do live a very, very hectic life. I don't have a lot of time to, to do much else other than work and play football. Okay. And also I have a question like, do you feel as if the FA, the authorities are doing enough to encourage more girls participation within football and also within sport as well? Do you think more can be done or what other opportunities are there available for girls? Um, well, as I said at the beginning, I think now there's a lot more opportunities for women than there were, which yeah. is obviously a massive step in the right direction. Um, when I was young, there was really only one or two standout women's players that you know, you'd think of. Now, I think there are a lot more girls, um, really, on a match day, like, when, when the reserves don't have a game, we go and watch the first team and they've got little mascots that they walk out with and it's so like nice and endearing yeah. to see that there's these young girls and, and they look at us and we're their role models, which is kind of crazy because when I was young, I didn't have that. You know, I didn't have a local team that I could go and support, like my local women's team. I would have loved it if I did, um, mm. but it just wasn't, sadly wasn't the case. So... Yeah, I do think there's a lot more. I do think there's still a long way to go. 100%, and I'm yeah. not entirely sure, if I'm honest, if women's football is ever going to be on equal status as men's. I just think men's brings in too much money. And, like, you look at the men's game, like, there's transfer records being broken every week because, exactly. like, Harry Maguire being sold for 80 million just does not sit right with me. I'm going to be oh, honest. Man, so, honestly. like, <laughs> it, it just, I think it's got to a point in men's football where money is now meaningless. It doesn't, mean anything yeah. when I was young I remember that the transfer records being broken like well 
were amazing because they didn't happen often. Like Ronaldo going to Real Madrid for 80 million was, and yeah. now Harry Maguire is being sold for 80 million. Like they're yeah. not the same, you know? No so it's, it's, it's absolutely mental. I don't think the women's game sadly will ever reach, but I don't think it needs to because I think the men's game is really over the top like money wise yeah. and it's you know it's it's all about the agents now making money but i think the women's game you've now got women's teams playing in the men's stadium so last season our first team traveled to the bet 365 stadium um and played stoke city ladies there That's and they funny. played in the men's stadium so these opportunities are being created for for women's teams now that weren't there five years ago that were yeah. definitely weren't there 10 years ago um, and you've got, you know, Tottenham women playing at White Hart Lane. You've got West Ham women playing games at Olympic Park. You've got the Women's Cup final now being held at Wembley. So there is a much more level playing field now, I think, more so than ever. Yeah. And also, are you happy with the progression of the Women's League? Because when I was growing up, it was always Arsenal ladies winning everything. Yeah. And now we mm-hmm. see Man United are doing great this season, top of the league, Man City. Yeah. Chelsea ladies like are you happy with the progression we're seeing with women's football how competitive it's going to be now yeah well I think a couple of years ago I think it might have been last year West Ham ladies got to the final of the FA Cup and played Man City women and you know it was nice to see like obviously I'm a massive West Ham fan and I follow the men's but it was nice to see the women like there at the final um, so yeah, definitely. Like even like Reading women like have, have done well. Like they've produced you know a, a few players. Like Farrah Williams has played for Reading. So they're not necessarily like cardboard copies of the men's team. Like Chelsea women are good and Chelsea men are good. You know Liverpool women are good. Liverpool men are good. But like teams like Reading, you know the, the, the men's team aren't necessarily a big team. Yeah. But you know the women's team in their own right are good. So. I think that's quite encouraging. And, you know, there's like you look at it now, we're in the third tier of women's football, but there's lots of tiers underneath us. And, and there's lots of teams like Doncaster Rovers, Bells, that used to be a really good team that have dropped down a little bit now. But, yeah. you know, they could get back, um, get back to the level that they were at. So there's a lot of teams coming forwards, um, you know, that, that could be competing for those top two, top three leagues in years to come. Yeah, that's true. And in the future, do you see like women being the manager of like the men's team? And what's your views on, for example, male managers like being women's managers? Is that an issue to you? Do you think women should be given more opportunity? So we see Phil Neville as manager of England women. Yeah. You feel like a woman should be first priority in those sort of jobs? I think at the end of the day, uh, I think whoever's going to do the best job should get the job. So I don't think it should matter if you're a woman or a man or an elephant, you know, like it should, it shouldn't matter who you are. If you can do the job better than candidate B, then candidate A should get the job. So if candidate A happens to be a woman, then, you know, why shouldn't a woman do it? But conversely, if, if a man's, you know, the better man for the job, then, you know, the man should do it. I think men managing in the women's leagues is perfectly fine. And I would love to see women one day managing in the men's league. I see no reason why they couldn't. Yeah. I think women sometimes have got actually like a more organised brain. That probably sounds really sexist, but I think, you know, a lot of women become mums. So they have to multitask a lot and think about different things all the time. Yeah. 
So they have to think about, I don't know, picking the kids up from school and then going to pick up this and then going to pick up that and then doing this and doing that. So like myself personally, I'm always on the go. So I've always got about 10 different things going on in my head. But I, I feel like that's why women make good managers because they have that ability to sort of compartmentalise their lives and sort of organise their lives quite efficiently. So, yeah, it's definitely something that I would like to see in the future. Like a, I'd like to see a woman win the league with a male, with a male team. Like, I think that would be great. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, I'm kind of getting in the right direction. You know, we yeah. see women like referees the other day. Uh, the Juventus match with Dan McKeever, there was a women referee. Yeah. You've got Sean Massey. And linesmen as well. Like, yeah. line, women linesmen have, have been about for, for quite a long time now. So yeah. I just think it's baby steps, really. But it's definitely steps in the right direction. 100%. And also, let's talk about England women's team. Who mm. performed better than the men's team if we talk international competition? I know England men's got to the uh, World Cup semi-finals, but the England women's team yeah. got to the, I think, the semi-finals in 2015 and the semi-finals again. Where yeah, USA see... beat us, didn't they? So Yeah, last year, Steph Horton. Yeah. Still. Mm. So, like, what's your views on the England women's team? Do you think that we can get the next step of, like, becoming the world champion or winning the Euros, which is in 2022 now? Yeah, I think they've got, like, a good team. Like, I am a massive fan of um, Alex Greenwood. I think she's a great player. Um, and I, I really like Beth England as well and Georgia Stanway, like, these players that are coming through. Yeah. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, like, I think Jess Park, like, if she can make it, then I think they've got a good future spine, really. You've got some players coming towards the end of their career now or sort of the peak of their career, like Lucy Bronze and Steph Houghton. Like, they're kind of in their late 20s now. So by the time 2022 20, rolls around, they'll be, what, like 29, 30 sort of age. So they'll be in their sort of prime. Um, so, yeah, I see no reason why we can't challenge. I know USA are always sort of going to be there or thereabouts because, you know, I think the issue is is that in America, more girls play football at college than, than boys. 100%. So I think that's why they've got such an amazing, talented, like, women's team because yeah. there's lots of English girls, and I personally know some of them, that go out to America to get a scholarship because it's so much more, what's the word, like, accessible over there for women yeah. to play football. And I think until that level has really been achieved here and that opportunity is here, we'll always be a little bit behind. But mm. I think we're definitely in with a shout for, for 2022. I think we've got really good young players coming through. And it would be really nice if, again, like, why, why not? Why some of the players that I play with, you know, maybe they could make it one day. Like, that would, that would be amazing. Even yourself. Like, what's your, <laughs> yeah, you yeah can... maybe, you know, yeah. So what's, like, your ambitions for the future? Do you still plan on playing how the ladies? Do you plan on doing PT full-time, maybe? What's mm. your future ambitions and goals? Well, I am a, currently a full-time PT. Um, oh. So, obviously, we don't get paid to, to play football for the time being. Again, mm. that is, like, a future development that could happen if women's football continues to get the exposure that it gets. You know, we could... We currently get sponsorships. So I'm sponsored by Rob Turner, who's like a, a massage therapist. So we get sponsors for the season that helps cover the cost of our transport and helps cover the cost of, you know, our, our kit and our training kit and our match day kit. Um, so that's good. But yeah, in terms of future, I just want to keep playing for whole city ladies really and hopefully maybe break into the first team one day. 
Um, some of the first team are getting older now. So, again, like with the English team, the, the women's team, there's that progression for the, for the younger players to come through. Yeah. And mainly to keep myself fit. You know, it's my job. So I have to keep myself fit. But I also want to keep myself fit, you know, to be in great shape for football and to last 90 minutes and to, you know, run about on the pitch and, and keep myself because you never know in that 89th minute, you might need to make a 100-yard sprint across the pitch and you, you one nil up to shield the ball at your corner flag to stop it from being one all. So you need to make sure that your body's primed and always ready to go. So, I, you know, just keep looking after myself. And yeah, like I, I want to keep playing with Hull City and I want to become like a player that like you think of Hull City and you think of like Jen because, you know, she's been there for so long. So like that's that's kind of what I would like to achieve. As long as they'll have me, I'm happy to play football for them. That's quality. And also, do you see yourself becoming a coach? Because you spoke before how, you know, you'd speak to the youngers, 16, 17, 18 year olds. Can you see yourself becoming a coach? And your PT as well. I mean, that's basically coaching itself. It is, yeah. Yourself? Yeah. Um, well, it's very different, obviously. Uh, I would uh, A goal and ambition of mine is to do my coaching badges. I would, I would like to do them because there's kind of a lot of carryover with PT. And so with my PT course, you get qualified in strength and conditioning. Obviously, you're qualified to personal train. You're qualified to deliver an element of rehab. So, but it's more general because you have to learn so much. What you learn isn't as detailed. Whereas if you go into more specific courses, like coaching, you learn a lot more specific content. So that is something that I would like to go into. Um, and yeah, I think I want to play until I can't play anymore, basically, until my legs give out. But, you know, when I can't play, I would like to get into coaching. And even if it's possible to balance two jobs and playing football with coaching as well, I would like to try and find the time to, to maybe start coaching sooner and start coaching alongside playing. Okay, that's interesting. That's good. Now, let's speak about your beloved West Ham. So, <laughs> tell us how you got involved with West Ham. Who were your heroes growing up? Um, the reason I got involved with West Ham is, obviously, they're all my local and closest team in relation to where I, I grew up. And my nan and my granddad sort of met um, and had family. So, my nan's family used to run the bar at Upton Park. Okay. And my granddad... And his family used to run the bar at Upton Park. So I think their families knew each other as far as I'm aware. And uh, every Saturday, my granddad used to do steward in there. And my nan used to be in the bar. So it'd be a family outing. My nan and granddad would take my mum and my uncle to Upton Park and dangle my mum over the um, over the sidelines. And she'd touch all the foot. So she touched, I think, George, Be George Best's arm one game, uh, going back a few years yeah. in the 70s or 80s. Um, she touched George Best's arm when he was taking a throw in because uh, my granddad used to get seats right at the front. And then at half time, they'd go see my nan in the bar. So, yeah, uh, growing up, I loved and I still love Mark Noble. Like, I think he epitomises sort of loyalty. Like, he's been yeah. at that club since he was eight years old, I think, something like that. And, um, you know, to live the dream of playing for your boyhood club must be like an amazing feeling and I think he's been such a great servant to our club he's got a lot of critics on Twitter recently about his performances and stuff and he slows the game down and he's 33 like he's going to he's going to slow the game down but I think for me there will always be a place even if there's not a place in the starting 11 for him there's always going to be space in my heart for Mark Noble like he's yeah. he's just such 
he's such a nice lad as well, like the way he comes across in interviews. So definitely for him, for me growing up, Mark Noble was was a real hero. Um, I loved Dean Ashton. And one of my fondest memories of West Ham was when they got to the FA Cup final in 2006. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, oh, don't, honestly. Like, West Ham never win anything. So for them to get to a final, I think from the April, when they got to the semi-final, until the May, for about three weeks, I slept in the same West Ham pyjamas. I just refused to take them off because I was okay. so excited. I, I genuinely thought they were going to win. Like, they were the better side in sure. that game. Yeah. They should have won. And I remember watching it and like we were three, I think we was three, three, yeah. three, two up, something like that. And it yeah. said there will be three minutes of stoppage time. And as soon as he said that, the commentator, Gerard smacked one in the top corner yeah. and then it was three all. And I knew at classic West Ham from that point that we were going to lose the game. And then we lost pens. Um, so yeah, it was just heartbreaking to recall it. But yeah, that's probably my fondest memory of, uh, of West Ham. And the playoff final as well, when they went down, yeah, I had a little nice. shed a tear when they went down, but then they bounced straight back up with uh, Sam Allardyce and Kevin Nolan um, leading the team. And uh, I went to that playoff final game against Blackpool and uh, it was it was a great atmosphere. And again, Ricardo Vazte coming through with the last minute goal, uh, great times. So yeah, it, it, West Ham are frustrating to support, but you know I wouldn't support another team. Yeah. So. So talk about the last season at the bowling. Like, how does it feel? Like, are you one of them people that like, wish you never moved? Definitely, yes. Um, like the, the the Upton Park for me, I've actually played on the pitch. Oh, so um, we had when I played for Tigers when I was eleven, there was like a, a tournament on that pitch organised by West Ham Girls, so the under 11s girls team, and we played on the pitch. My granddad drove us to. Um, West Ham, we couldn't get parked anywhere because obviously it's a nightmare around those parts. And um, we we played on, on Upton Park pitch, so it's always going to hold special memories for me. Uh, and when it was announced that we were moving, I just wanted Tottenham to take the Olympic Stadium or Leighton Orient or any other London team because I didn't want us to, to leave Upton Park. If, if you've not been to experience it, you can't really describe how much of a special place it is. Um, it's you know it's not even one of the biggest stadiums it was only probably I think about 35 40,000 capacity but you go there and you know other teams like Chelsea Man United Liverpool would go to Upton Park and actually be intimidated because they weren't sure they were going to come away with a result and half the time that weren't because of West Ham it was because of the fans because the atmosphere in that stadium is probably I reckon second only to probably Liverpool like probably was the best in in the Premier League. Yeah. In, in my opinion, like it was a proper family. And like I say, I've got family connections to West Ham. A lot of people did as well. It was a family run club and Upton Park was like a family feel. And I think this new stadium just has taken that away. Um, and oh. it's sort of very, very, first of all, like the Olympic Stadium is so far away, like, Anyone that was on the front row at Upton Park is now probably the equivalent of like six or seven rows back because there's a massive running track in the way. I think, yeah, I do, I do regret us, us leaving Upton Park. I tried to get tickets to go to the last ever game, but obviously they were being sold for like thousands of pounds. So I, I watched it on TV. I got fish and chips, mushy peas, like proper East End dinner. And watched it on the telly, and that had to do sadly. But I did have a little cry when um, 
Uh, and we had to win that last game, didn't we? That three two against Man United. Like we had to go out on a on a high. But we made hard work for ourselves as we always do. Um but yeah, like to win it three two was just bittersweet really. And then for all the legends to come on after the game, um and to pay tribute to like Bobby Moore and, and all the all the legends that are sadly like no longer with us mm. was just really emotional to watch as a fan, as as someone that supported them since I was as long as I can remember. Yeah. So what's your hopes for West Ham this season? Because you're having a decent season under David yeah. Moyes, doing well. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not sold on Moyes. Like I am, he's probably probably his biggest critic. Um, yeah. I think West Ham are probably the only team in the Premier League that could sack a manager and then get him back in two years. Like, you know, it's just yeah. it's such a West Ham thing to do. Um, but in all fairness to him, he has done well this season, and I do think we've got a good team. We just constantly underperform. But one thing I've noticed this season is that we're actually grinding out results which we would normally squander um mm. so for example we tend to do quite well against big teams so we show up against teams like man united and arsenal and tottenham like we always show up against them and we'll beat them like 2-1 and then the next week we'll lose 3-0 to brighton or we'll lose 3-0 to sheffield united but a couple of weeks ago we beat sheffield united i think 1-0 and yeah. like we beat leeds the other day and these Ooh. are normally games that we would like just roll over and, and lose but we're actually winning them now so I think for West Ham a top half finish this season would be for any fan we'd definitely take that like I'm not realistic enough like I'm not sorry uh, optimistic enough to think let's aim for Europe because I know there's teams like Everton, Wolves, Leicester that you know are better teams with better squads yeah. but I think to maybe finish 10th would be like an amazing achievement considering Last season, we were like doomed, really, until the restart, until Antonio came out of his hiding place and started banging in all the goals. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, West Ham, you can do well this season and it will be a good end to the season. Like The league is just crazy at the moment. Looking at Arsenal, could get yeah. relegated and things like that. I know, like it's that. mad. So, yes. But, um, in all fairness to Arsenal, I, I I hope they don't get relegated because as much as I don't like Arsenal, they are they've they've never been relegated from the Premier League and they have got history like they they're the only season they're the only team that have gone a full season without like the Invincibles that never lost a game um, in a whole season. So they have there are a team with a lot of history. So there is a part of me that hopes they they manage to pull themselves out of this. But the other half of me laughs every day at how badly that they're doing. So yeah, I yeah. think if Arsenal go down, that would. I mean, I don't want to think about it. I mean, Leicester won the league, didn't they? So anything's possible. Yeah. If Leicester can win the league, Arsenal can get relegated. That's my. That's a perfect logic. But yeah, we we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, we'll um, have to see. I think whatever happens, I think Sheffield United are definitely going down. So, percent. I, I think they're. I think they've been sussed out this season with their overlapping like centre back. It worked last season. It was a novelty, but I think this season teams have sussed it out they've watched their footage they've done their own work and yeah I think they're in trouble unless they can sign some players in January I think yeah. they're in trouble I think they have to sack Wilder I think just get someone experienced in yeah I think that's the way forward for them but yeah mm. just going to end on a couple of listeners questions yeah um, somebody asked what's the most important trait for you for being a footballer good attitude yeah. I think um, like I say you might not be the best footballer but if you've got that determination to be better every day, you're going to get further than someone that doesn't have that attitude. 
so definitely you know have a good attitude towards playing and always try and be positive um, if you weren't a footballer what have, what would you see yourself doing so I know you do other things as well but like if, it... if I didn't play football um I'd probably have gone into one of the other two sports I mentioned so I'd, I'd probably be playing tennis or I think I'd probably be doing athletics I used to do um eight and 1500 meter running um and you know I, I was smashing pbs when I was 13 14 with that um, doing long jump as well, like relays, hurdles, bit of everything. Like I love Jessica Ennis; she was a massive role yeah, model. So I just used to want to be like her. So I think I probably would have gone into athletics. I had to make a choice, and I chose football. But yeah, that would have probably been what I, what I would have done. What's your like proudest moment of being like a footballer? It's through your whole journey. What's the moment where you're like, wow, I'm really proud of myself? Ah, interesting. I think just my journey really of coming from sort of humble beginnings of like Sunday league um, and then playing county level and then uni level and then playing where I am now. Like I'm grateful every day to be playing at the level that I'm playing at because, you know, there's some people that don't get that opportunity. Uh, don't get me wrong at uni. I was really proud of taking my team from like bottom of the league to unbeaten, unbeaten for a whole season. Um, we used to get absolutely annihilated at Varsity, which is when whole uni played Lincoln Uni. Every mm. year I played, we'd lose like 10 mil. In our third year, we drew three all. Like we, we gave them a good game and we didn't lose. So, yeah, I think captaining the uni team to the, the Bucks title and then going unbeaten was, was definitely up there as a proud moment. But I just think overall, my development and my attitude, I'm quite proud of. Like, I always want to be better. Um, yeah. and I, in, in everything I do like as a PT I want to be a better PT um, I want to be a better footballer I want to get into coaching there's so many things that I want to do yeah. um, and I see no reason why I can't do them in terms of on the pitch I think scoring a header against Leeds to win 3-2 was, was probably my proudest moment it was a game I didn't start because um, some of the first team players came in to get minutes so I got benched and then they brought me on at half time and said like make an impact so I made an impact and put a header. And as soon as it left my head, I was like, that's going in that. I just made, I've got, I, I mean, people take the mick out of my massive forehead anyway. So it was kind of nice to put it to good use um, and do something with it. And we won that game three too. So I loved being a part of that. So yeah, there's loads, there's a few moments that I'm really proud of. But yeah, I think just overall, still playing football at my age when a lot of girls have, have given up by now. Yeah. and like trying to be better every day and just keep going so yeah. yeah have you had any like major setbacks or challenges what's the biggest challenge you faced during your like journey uh I, I definitely think those three years I didn't play um because I'll always in the back of my head I'll always think what if like what if I had carried on playing and I'd been sort of taken on maybe by West Ham ladies yeah. um, or I'd been taken on by I don't know Millwall Lionesses what my journey might have led to and what the outcome might have been um, and I do think you know if that had have happened I might not have been playing for whole city ladies now and I am a big believer that of fate like everything happens for a reason mm -hmm. but I think yeah that was a big setback taking those three years of not playing um, between 15 and 18 like I said it's a really critical age we've got some 16 year olds playing for whole city now who are only going to get better and these next two years are absolutely crucial to their development. And if they do really well, they're going to get signed by big clubs, you know, like Man United or, you know, whoever's like 
big up here, Liverpool, like all, all the northern teams, or they might relocate and go and play for Arsenal or Man City women. So it is like a really important time between those ages. So yeah, I think that was definitely a big setback. Yeah, just an additional question. Do you have to relocate to Hull or do you just stay? No, no. So I moved to Hull. Um, I've been living up here since I was 18. So I came to uni up here and my mum moved um, from London to Hull. So I was always going to go to Hull Uni because I could live at home. Um, And uh, to be fair, I got through my first year of uni and I think that was the most frequently asked question was, how are you from London if you live in Hull and you commute? And, you know, you don't live in halls, you live at home, but yeah. your home's in London. So I had to ex- strip it down and basically explain it. But my mum moved to London, uh, sorry, moved from London to Hull. And then I just live with her now. So I, I, I go to visit my family in London. But in terms of where I am now, like I'm settled here. I don't see myself returning to London. Okay. It's and, too expensive as well, so oh, very it's, it's ridiculous. Made the right choice. <laughs> yeah. And also, do you have any final advice for any young girls coming up in the game, any young boys, any words of motivation for people, you know, finding it hard, going through challenges? Yeah. Um, I would definitely say, like I've said to you, um, like hard work always beats talent, mm. like if that talent doesn't work hard. So that's a motto I've always tried to live by and that's what my granddad always used to tell me. Um, so that's what I would pass on to anyone, any aspiring and any up and coming footballers is to always learn and never be afraid to ask questions. There's no such thing as a silly question mm-hmm. um, and always try to just focus on you. Like don't think I've got to be better than that person next to me. Think they're at a different level to me. And I might be there one day. And conversely, once you get to that level, always stay humble and don't look down at people that are now where you once were. Because everybody starts from somewhere, you know. Um, So I think, yeah, that's, that's a massive thing is to always work hard, always ask questions and always remember where you came from. Like I've come from like near enough a council estate in London and I've made a good life for myself. But, I'm humble about it. I've worked hard to to do it. So, and I, and I do work hard, like with, with everything that I do. So, if if you work hard and you're determined in life, then you'll get the results that you you deserve. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect way to end it. Thank you, Thanks. Jen, for coming on you're and welcome. speaking. Thank you for your story. It's a really intriguing journey, and it's encouragement to everyone that's watching that you can make it and continue to work hard. So, Jen, yeah. thanks for coming on. All the best for the rest of the season. And I hope that all your goals that you plan to have, you achieve them. Thank you very much. All right, see you later. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Bye.